What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My mind's playing tricks on me. Why won't it let me be? Look inside and try to find, but nothing seems to give me sweet relief. Self-Helpless with Kelsey Cook, Delaney Fisher, and Taylor Tomlinson. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Self-Helpless. I'm Delaney Fisher. I'm Taylor Tomlinson. And I'm Kelsey Cook. And oh my gosh, (laughs) we have an incredible guest today. Um, This is a highly requested topic from our listeners, and you guys have actually requested this book and this author and this doctor. So we are so excited (laughs) to have Dr. Jolene Brighton here today. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and nutritional biochemist with a focus in women's endocrine health. She's recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Uh, Dr. Brighton is the author of Be Beyond the Pill, a book that you have all read, uh, a 30-day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off and eliminate symptoms of post uh, post-birth control syndrome and she's a speaker women's health advocate and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. Please welcome to the show Dr. Brighton everybody. Hey. Yay. Yes. Hey. Oh my God, that's like the best intro ever. Everybody say yay! (laughs) Confetti. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we are so excited to to have you. Um, Our listeners have recommended you and your book, and uh, they've been wanting to talk about this. I actually uh, listened to you. I found you on the Model Health podcast, I believe it's called. And I listened to that interview. I'm like, oh my God, this woman is the shit. You have to get her. (laughs) Sent it to Taylor and Kelsey, and they agreed. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, if you listen to that interview, uh, Sean Stevenson and I, we, that was the first time we've ever met in person. We were like Insta friends. And uh, <laughs> and um, I, I talk about my Prince jacket and I just ran into him last weekend at a conference we were both at and I was wearing a leather jacket and he was like, okay, so you were channeling Prince. Now, 
who are you channeling with this? And I'm like, uh, Joan Jett? I don't know. What do you say? Like, when you, there's all that pressure. But yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that that was definitely an interview where I got to have fun and be me. Sometimes I do interviews and people are like, you're a doctor. Here's the doctor box. Can you oh. stay in your box? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm also like a total dork. So can I just be that? Like, that's more natural. Oh, <laughs> this dorks. is the show for yeah. you. Dorks are welcome oh, here. Like, how do we not know each other? <laughs> Awesome. Um, so, Dr. Brighton, if you have a quote that you like or hate, if you want to just uh, kick off the show with that, anything? No. In your yeah, pocket? number one quote. Uh, this As soon as my assistant was like, what is your favorite quote? I'm like, the thing that comes out of my mouth, like every single interview, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Legit genius Albert Einstein. Yes. Um, yeah. He said that how long ago? And yet here we find ourselves in 2019 doing the same things over and over in women's health and wondering why are things still broken? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Definitely. Um, so if you don't mind, can you tell us like how hormonal birth control actually works? Because I think a lot of us don't exactly no i'm the first to admit that i've been on i was on that for years and i don't actually know how it works properly um and then what is post-birth control syndrome oh dude i spent 10 years on the pill and i didn't know how it worked and it's wow. kind of ridiculous to me like this is something to reflect on i didn't even know how my menstrual cycle or my body worked until i was in naturopathic medical school and i'm like you don't, you shouldn't have to have a medical degree for somebody to explain to you basic like female physiology yeah, yeah. and like how birth control works. And, you know, the fact that like they prescribe us some medication without, and this is a medication, we forgot that somewhere along the lines, right. without actually telling us how it works, like that's baffling to me. So, mm -hmm. you know, the primary mechanism by which like the pill works and some of the other forms of hormonal contraceptive is to shut down brain ovarian communication. So, we literally shut down your entire reproductive tract. And, um, you know, this is something that I submit to you uh, would never be tolerated by men for as long as it's been tolerated <laughs> by women. Totally. And it really, I mean, it illustrates, I think it really illustrates the lack of respect there is in women's medicine and the lack of respect for our body that our reproductive system is seen as something expendable. Like it's this idea that just because there's a season in which we change and we go into menopause, it's like you never needed those hormones to start with. And that's, I think, what has gotten us into big trouble in women's medicine. Now, some of the other ways that hormonal birth control can work is changing your cervical fluid, so actually thickening it when you're fertile. And so uh, we're going to get in. Some of you are off the pill now, and you may see fertile cervical mucus uh, for the first time in a, in a hot minute there. <laughs> and that it's like um, Amy Schumer, and I know there's other people who have been uh, credited with making this joke, and it's hilarious, um, and is like talking about like, there's like someone blue snot in my panties. Like, there's all this goop. And I've had women, you know, in their 40s who were put on the pill, like they had a couple periods, then they got put on the pill. Now they're in their 40s, they transition off, they call my office in a panic. And they're like, there's some weird goopy discharge going on. I think I have an infection. And it's like, is it like raw egg whites? Yeah. And there's tons of it. Congratulations, you're ovulating. Like that is something Whoa. that we should know. 
Wow. So, uh, and that's the super highway, I call it for sperm. It actually like helps sperm get to your egg as fast as possible. So some hormonal birth control works by altering that. Um, and then, you know, some work, you know, so like having an IUD, whether it's a non-hormonal or hormonal, it's an irritant to the uterus. So if you do actually become pregnant, you can't maintain that pregnancy. Um, with the Marina IUD, like the lining of the uterus will be thinner. So implantation cannot happen. Happen. And that's an important discussion to have because for some women, that's a non-negotiable in their life. And they should know that before they get into that. Right. So that's like basically how hormonal birth control works. It just works by just shutting the whole system down. Wow. Now, post-birth control syndrome is really kind of like the fallout or the aftermath when you're done with birth control in that you can develop new symptoms you've never had before, or you can have the return of symptoms that you you know started hormonal birth control for in the first place. So I've seen women perfect clear skin their whole life. They're on the pill for like five years out of their 20s. And when they come off, they've got cystic acne. Women who use cystic acne for uh, and or use birth control to treat cystic acne, then it becomes worse when they come off of it. But mm-hmm. with post-birth control syndrome, what's important for women to understand is a constellation of symptoms. And you can have a few of them. You can have almost all of them. And it looks different for a lot of women. That's how syndromes are in medicine. It means there's a collection of symptoms that like to hang out together. They're all like little besties. And (laughs) with that, as you come off of hormonal birth control, when you understand it impacts every single system in your body, so it can show up as new onset neurological issues. So like migraines, headaches, brain fog, um, moodiness, anxiety, depression, or it can show up as skin symptoms like I talked about. It can be classic period problems, heavy periods, missing period, uh, painful periods, or it can show up in your gut because hormonal birth control impacts every single system in your body. And it's tricky for women to actually get a doctor to pay attention to this or to make the connection because typically the symptoms are really going to crop up around six months after being off of hormonal birth control. Now, that's on average. It can be sooner or it can be a lot later. Uh, Usually what happens is women will say, well, it's five years later. I don't think it's related to birth control. When we get into their their story, it's like, you know, it's kind of like that bad boyfriend and you're like putting up with him, putting up with him, putting up with him <laughs> until you can't put up with him. And that's what your symptoms are like. You're like, I'm wow. dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. I can't deal with it. I'm going to the doctor. And because it's so far from when you stopped hormonal birth control, your doctor's like, well, there can't be a connection there. Mm. Wow. wow. You're like, holy shit. Blow this is awesome. my mind. That's <laughs> so good already. Yeah. Oh, ladies, we're only five minutes in. <laughs> started. I think we all have a million questions. Yeah. Kelsey, do you want to go first? We'll just kind of go in a circle here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. So I mentioned to you before we started recording that I've been off of the pill now for six months and I was on it for 12 years. Um, mm-hmm. I was one of the people who initially got on birth control in high school to help with my cystic acne. And mm-hmm. uh, it basically like, I'm trying to think back to high school. I don't know if it was like full cystic, but it was pretty bad and I couldn't figure out any solution. So I got on it and it was the, the pill was the only thing that had actually helped my acne. So basically as soon as I went off of it, uh, just like crazy cystic hormonal acne kicked in like harder than it ever has before. And now over these six months, it continues to get like less and less. So I'm hoping that that is just a pattern. Like, do you do you see that with a lot of people that right as soon as they get off, it can be a big flare up. And then like over time, it slowly balances out a little bit. Oh, totally. And uh, the thing that like sucks so hard about post pill or post birth control acne is it's not just on your face. It's like 
back oh, knee, neck knee, yes. chest knee, butt knee. Like it shows oh. up everywhere. And yes. it can be cystic on your chest. And like, and that's something like you guys are down in Southern California. So you wear tank tops and like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I'm Portland right now. I'm like, I could wear a scarf if I needed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So well, what I was going to say is like, what you just told me is a clue right there is that the only thing that helped was hormonal birth control. Why would that be? Because it suppresses androgens. So mm. the, so androgens, this is like, we think male sex hormones, but women have them too. And they're quite lovely as long as you have the right amount, like all hormones, they're yeah. not bad. You just need the right amount. Now, with that, um, testosterone can get converted by way of an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase into a more potent molecule called DHT. And that can lead to cystic acne, hair loss, hair growth on your chin, chest, abdomen. Like I, you know, wh- who could blame a woman for not wanting any of that and being like, you have a pill for that? I will take it. Like, totally. sign me up. Now, hormonal birth control works for this because it will downregulate your production of testosterone from your ovaries by as much as 50%. Now, your adrenal glands can still, they make DHEA, that can get converted to testosterone, but the ovaries are downregulated. And even if you do start to make that testosterone by way of the adrenal glands, your liver undergoes a genetic alteration while on hormonal birth control. So you express more sex hormone binding globulin. This is also why your libido goes missing and doesn't necessarily come back. When you stop birth control, we can totally go down that lane. Um, Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But with the acne piece, so it can work really well for that. But the problem is, is that acne is often multifactorial. So if you have excess androgens, we have to ask why. Is it PCOS? Is it coming from the adrenal glands? Is it blood sugar dysregulation? And often there's a gut component to this. And so this is important because if you have imbalance in gut flora, that can lend itself to imbalance in skin flora. So good gut bugs is what we're talking about here. With that, hormonal birth control actually disrupts your gut and makes all of that worse. Now, in addition, it depletes things like zinc and vitamin A, which are absolutely essential for skin health and for immune system regulation, which is going to take care of that acne. And so as long as you're on hormonal birth control, yes, it can suppress the symptoms, but once you come off, you may go through what I call the androgen rebound, which is in chapter eight of my book, which is where your body's like, <laughs> finally, we can make our androgens again. Your skin gets oily. You start to get acne. You can get cystic acne. And in addition, you've got the gut dysbiosis component. Possibly you've developed food sensitivities while being on it because hormonal birth control causes intestinal hyperpermeability or what we know as leaky gut more commonly. Oh, and yep. it depletes nutrients um, that you need to have healthy, young, you know, appearing, glowing skin. And so with all of that, it's a temporary solution. But when you come off, it is usually, and it's like, you look like you're a teenager again, which is like the worst when you're in your thirties or forties, like nobody wants any of that. And the acne is one of those reasons I can see women, they just jump right back on hormonal birth control because it's hard to handle. You're like, I'm an adult and I'm putting my face first. And it's not like everybody else around me also has acne and is like going through the weird hormonal changes, Um, you know, like the hormone monster that we see on that Netflix show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's no cohort in this. You're alone now. Yeah. And I mean, I actually, I did try to get off the pill like three or four years ago, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, I was off of it. And then within three months, the cystic acne was so bad. And like you said, like my neck, like my back, shoulders, not just my face, that at that time, 
I was like, I just can't deal with this. Also, we're entertainers. Like, we're in, like, on stage in spotlight all the time. You feel so self-conscious when you have horrible acne. I just was like, fuck it. I'm just going back on the pill because I can't take this. But at this point in my life, I've learned enough about it. And now, like, I just, I turned 30 yesterday. I'm getting to an age where I'm like, I don't want to be on this pill my entire life, Um, especially if I'm thinking about having kids at some point. I know it can take a while for, uh, for, like, your reproductive system to actually get back on track. Right. And where's the long-term study? Well, people are out there yelling evidence-based medicine and convincing us left and right that this is completely safe and benign. Right. Where's the long-term study that's followed the 14-year-old gal who got prescribed the pill and now she's 48 and she's coming off of it and she's mm. never actually had an ovulatory cycle her entire life. Like oh, we are man. now starting to understand it impacts our brain in a really negative way. I mean, shocker, your hormones actually protect your brain and your bones and your heart and all of these things. Um, and they, you know, it's like they, they thought that they could synthesize these hormones in the lab and think they could do better than Mo and nature could ever do. Like, that's just silly. Like, I'm just yeah. like, who are these people? Wow. But the cystic acne is real. I mean, I went through that as well. I never, like, I had, you know, little pimples here and there, but never cystic acne when I came off the pill I had the same experience and I had like this beard of acne and I was a group fitness instructor at the same time nowhere near being like an entertainer and I think people the way people look at entertainers is very different Uh, I don't know if I would like I don't know that I have enough of a tough skin for that yeah the judgy the judgments be real but um (laughs) but standing on a stage and doing like teaching classes and everybody could look up and see this beard of acne no amount of cover-up can cover it up and then I start sweating and I just oh yeah I know there's women out there who love to do full makeup and go to the gym and sweat and more power to you. I personally feel like I'm suffocating and it's really, really gross feeling to me where I'm like, I can't, I can't breathe. um, You know, it's, and it's something that like, it's, takes you're not gonna die from it okay and that makes doctors usually like pretty dismissive where they're like you're not gonna die but it's like but you might die emotionally or mentally like it is impacting you right well can't it also lead to like more like higher risk of blood clots and um and like tumors like yeah like oh, tumors well, and control. Control. Like i was that. talking about you're not going to die of acne oh <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no, no, i no. got you <laughs> no you can definitely die being on the pill there are clots heart attacks yeah uh, you know the, oh. the whole gamut and um oh, God. it's part of why my book is dedicated to the women who went before us to you know show us that there's a better way because uh, we lost a lot of women to the early birth control trials and then as it stepped onto the market and it's something that the you know these big scary uh risks like breast cancer and stuff they get they get dismissed but you know the thing we forget to talk about is well statistically speaking it may be oh a mild increased risk we need to frame it in the context of that individual her risk was she already at risk for these things and that we're talking about cancer. We're talking about a stroke. Like we're, we're not talking about a side effect that only impacts you. We're talking about a side effect that impacts everybody in your life, including you. Yeah, absolutely. Welding instructor, Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Um, a lot of things have kind of 
like thankfully faded off for me but I know that the brain fog I had and the exhaustion I felt in that first like month or two getting off of it was crazy like I would show up here to the studio with the girls and just look like completely out of it like I was on Mars there was one time where they had to come like knock on my door and be like are you okay because my like whatever was going on with my mind and body like either I had like turned my alarm off and didn't hear it or I don't really know what happened but like I did not wake up until somebody was like physically like in my apartment be like oh my god are you okay and Mm -hmm. it was it was the strangest thing I had never experienced something like that it was almost like I was um on NyQuil for like a month or two just really out of it yeah and what's crazy about all this is that there's so many women like whenever somebody says to me like post birth control syndrome isn't real or I always love when people are like, you're just trying to scare women to not use birth control. And I'm like, have you read my book? Because maybe if you go read my book first, you'll like flip that script. Because I actually, if anything, like I love when people are like, you're anti-pharma and it's so clear. And I'm like, except that I'm hypothyroid and I take a medication every day as a hypocritical Mm, statement. Like to be anti-pharma, like, no, I love me some drugs when they're needed, like a time and a place. Like, I don't yeah. think like I, I say it's like a tool shed. Like you wouldn't go to a tool shed and if you need a hammer, be like, no, I'm anti hammer. So I'm going to pick up a saw and use it. Like you wouldn't do that. Yeah, like, right. And so when it comes to medicine, it's about, we want to have all the tools available and it's about giving women the education so that they can make the best decision for themselves. But how many women have these stories? And yet Critics and haters line up to dismiss women's stories, to tell women there's no scientific study to prove what you're saying is true. And I'm like, right, like we're going to wait for a study to believe a woman's like truth about her own body. Like that is ridiculous. Like where are you even trying to come from with that? Right. Yes. I'm getting fired up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have like a million more things I could ask, but I want the girls to be able to ask things to talk about where you guys are at with the pill and what other questions you have. And I can jump back in later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's so hard because we haven't given you any acne solutions like Oh. Does that feel good to walk away from that? Or should we talk about some things you Let's can do? Let's talk about oh, that. Please talk Please. about it. I would yeah. love to hear I mean, some advice. I feel like it was sounding so doomed. Yeah. I know. I, and, you know, the whole way my book is structured is that if I present you with a problem, I give you an immediate solution. I, I really that. hate health books that are like, you're reading the problem, you're reading the problem, you're getting so anxious, read another 200 pages and I'll tell you the solution. I'm like, no, I just need to get in and get out. I'm yeah. Like, that's yeah. how I designed the book. So. You know, with acne, because it is multifactorial, we have to start looking at, okay, what what could what are the potential things that could be going on? And I walk through women uh, through the way uh, through the book with women on this. What am I trying to say right now? Okay, so yeah. first things first. One of the number one dietary triggers that we see with acne is dairy. So removing dairy from your diet has got to come out for at least six weeks. And nobody loves that, but when they have clear skin, they're all about it. So right. mm-hmm. that's one thing. Will you also work to support your gut health? So eating prebiotic foods, so just start thinking fibers, start increasing your leafy green vegetables and your cruciferous vegetables. One quick hack right away, start including broccoli sprouts and other cruciferous sprouts in your diet. You can get these at Trader Joe's, you can get them at Whole Foods. You can buy seeds on Amazon, get organic broccoli seeds and sprout them at home in your windowsill. Like very easy hack to do, but it's very, very concentrated um, nutrients all together but to support liver detoxification because your liver has definitely taken a hit in all of this. Yeah. And then start to track like 
when does my acne come up? If your acne's coming up like in the follicular phase, so you start your period, then, you know, <clears throat> about a week later, you start to see acne. Oh, my libido's coming up at the same time. That's a sign that testosterone's creeping up on you. And that's where that acne's coming from. Okay. If it's coming up like the week before your period or two weeks before your period, that can be an issue with estrogen dominance and an imbalance in that. And so having too much estrogen can cause acne as well, which is where the broccoli sprouts will come in for the win. Then you've got to poop every day because if you don't <laughs> move your bowels, I know you like everybody always laughs when I say that. And I'm like, I talk about poop so much. Plus I live with like a six year old boy. So like it's just <laughs> poop all day. And I have to say, there's that show, Dr. Pimple Popper. Oh yeah. That is probably... That is like his, like, mama, I want to hang out with you. Can we watch the Dr. Pimple Popper? Oh, my gosh. so into it. And now, you know what's really funny is he can actually identify a lipoma on people. Like, we can be out, and he's like, mama, I think they have a lipoma. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Um, But I digress. (laughs) So with that, though, um, I tell people to notice, especially when we travel, people tend towards constipation. And often women will say, like, they broke out. They didn't seem so cyclical it came out of nowhere and like what were your bowel movements like leading up to that oh it was constipated yeah because you've got to get your waist out somehow and one way to get that out is through your skin so making sure the bag your support liver detox move the bowels every day for people listening i go through all of this in my book there's a chapter on liver health a chapter on gut health um really sexy stuff but it is the Mm. secret sauce to better hormones and the other thing is start to include zinc rich foods in your diet so oysters, pumpkin seeds. Um, You can participate in seed cycling, which is eating flax seeds and pumpkin seeds at the first half of your cycle, the follicular phase, when you see blood up until ovulation, switch it ovulation, go into sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. All of these are raw and ground is even better, fresh ground, I should say. But that will give you zinc and give you fiber and that will help you move the bowels, feed the good gut bugs, and that zinc can help throttle your testosterone so that it behaves a little bit better works for your libido and not against your skin so i hope that was helpful i just hit you like a fire hydrant so good (laughs) i love it so good i had a question about okay so i have a supplement that's calcium magnesium zinc and the problem is when i take that it makes me constipated because that's usually what calcium does but i know that those are good um vitamins uh, and minerals to get for uh, like post-birth control syndrome do you have any like recommendations on how to get those without it making me constipated Oh, yeah. So like I have, so I, I don't know if you guys know, I have my own supplement line of uh, prenatal. So there's prenatal option. There's a supplement that I have that's called Balanced uh, Women's Hormone Support. And that has calcium d which is a form of calcium that helps with the, let me back this up, everybody, we're going to take a little physiology stroll here, a little nerdy <laughs> talk. Okay, so If you have imbalance of gut flora, so good gut bugs are out of balance, they'll make an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And beta-glucuronidase, what will happen, your liver packages up estrogen to move it out. It gets to the gut. Beta-glucuronidase is there. It reactivates it, puts it back into circulation. This is why being constipated can lead to estrogen dominance or having imbalance in gut bugs. So that particular form of calcium can help but counteract that and help you move out your estrogen. That supplement also has magnesium and it has in it the broccoli seed extract and B vitamins, other things you need to run the detox pathways and optimize your hormones. When it comes to zinc, zinc should be coupled with copper. 
because oh. if we're taking zinc, it can lead to a copper deficiency and that can lead to cardiovascular issues. So whenever we're taking zinc, we want to couple it with that as well. And then making sure that if you are taking like a calcium magnesium supplement, one way around it is that um, calcium citrate isn't as highly absorbed, but it will move the bowels a little bit more. Okay. Um, with your calcium, you can't absorb more than 600 milligrams at one time. So if your supplement is more than that, you're not even absorbing it, but you may want to space out the dose throughout the day so that that, that doesn't happen. Um, <clears throat> and certainly like calcium, magnesium are helpful, but so is like selenium, which was depleted by hormonal birth control. So you really want to be looking at like a quality multivitamin or prenatal. Um, I think about multivitamins and prenatals, like when you are working with the doctor, we'll use like targeted supplements and targeted nutrients, but with a multivitamin or prenatal, it kind of presents you everything like your food does. And then there's, I, you know, I don't have any evidence to uh, support this, but I'd like to see this research done that when you present the body with like, you eat a meal that's like, you know, you've got a steak and you're eating a salad with it. And you've got all, you know, you've got all these nutrients. Your body isn't absorbing everything that's there. And really, I think that it, it picks and chooses in a way of like, okay, this is what we need more of, bring more of this in this system. And that's something that like a multivitamin and prenatal, you know, they can kind of present in that same way of like, here are all of our nutrients. Like, let's, let's try to absorb these things. And it's only when we get to like, something like, for example, iron deficiency anemia, where we're like, okay, you need to take your iron and you have to take it away from calcium because they actually compete for each other because we therapeutically must dose iron in order to reverse this condition. Oh, wow. Jeez. Oh, blowing oh my, my mind. Yeah. I know. This is so much. <laughs> I'm going to be like re-listening to exactly. this episode taking several notes. times, taking notes. Yeah. Thank you for all yeah. this info. So good. For people listening, that is not uncommon. Um, most people write me and say the same thing. Like I went and listened to it three times and like yeah. wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that people will always ask, like, um, I just had somebody the other day that I was doing a live on Instagram and they were like, Can you like work on speaking slower? Like, can you like speak a lot slower? And I'm like, you know. I'm like, I'd love to tell you yes, but this straight up, no, it's not going to happen because at this point, this juncture of my life, this is how I talk and this is who I am. And then you're asking me to teach you complex biomedical concepts and also throttle my speech. Like, I don't know that I can do both of those things. So I'm like, I'm not being rude. I just like, the the real talk answer is like, no, it's probably not going to happen. Well, yeah. yeah, you can tell that you're incredibly passionate about this. I'm assuming <laughs> that you've been through all this yourself. So like, what was that? What was that journey like? How did you discover that this was even a thing and, and get into it like that? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I actually when I went off of birth control, it was when I was in National League Medical School. And I remember sitting there and it's like just like every other woman in this world. It's like the time that you choose to get pregnant is when you actually get taught when you're fertile. And here I was, and they were teaching us fertility. They were like, oh, when a woman wants to get pregnant, there's one day out of the month she's fertile. And I remember it's like the record scratched and came to a halt for me in my brain. And I was like, hold up, say what? I'm suppressing my hormones every single day and enduring the side effects that I knew were because of birth control, but my doctor swore it wasn't. It was just me and I was broken. I'm going off of this. And so when I went off of it, I thought, you know, like, like doctors tell you, right, you can just come off and you can get pregnant right away. And I came off and for the first time in my life, I lost my period. Now, I had had a good three years of counting down my period like doomsday every single month. So I knew it was regular and I knew I didn't have cystic acne before. 
Yet when I went to my doctor, I had no period and I had cystic acne. Uh, that now I understand, oh, that was gaslighting. That's what was going on there. Mm. Because he framed to me that I was misremembering. I didn't actually understand my body or my period, that he'd never seen anything like this before. And I was the only one. And Ugh. I was like, I'm a freak. So I don't want to talk about it. Like something's oh, wrong geez. with me and I'm broken. And, you know, of course, like you're just too stressed. It's because like you're in medical school and you're stressed. And it's like, yeah, but like there were a lot of women there that were still bleeding once a month so I don't know about that like we can't yeah. just say it's not um yeah so I went through it myself and you know had I not been where I was in my education and had a background in clinical and nutritional biochemistry I don't know that I would have been able to you know get my period back and heal things as quickly as I did and you know with that it wasn't until I got into clinical practice that I finally felt validated that my story was real, which is, you know, kind of ridiculous that it took me working one-on-one -on -one with patients who were calling at my office saying, I think you, I heard you're the doctor who believes women's birth control stories. Like, I want to come see you. And I'm like, what a weird thing to say. Like, why are people saying that about me? And then when women came in and I was meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, I'm like, oh my God, the exact same thing that happened to me happened to you. And it's like, we like, you know, people are like, oh, wow, like everybody's so period positive. And we talk about all these things. I'm like, yeah, like for the last hot minute, like they, we had been, I mean, we have not talked about our periods. We've been shamed about our periods, shamed about if you have any kind of medical issue, like um, if you're infertile, if you have acne, if like you have anything going on, like you're supposed to carry that burden on your own, feel ashamed and then don't talk about it because it makes other people uncomfortable. But as women start sharing their stories more and more, I think we're all waking up to the fact that one, medicine has done a big disservice in uh, for women's health. And two, that we're not alone. We're not freaks. We're not broken. Like, it's not in our head, which has been a lot of the story that's been spun for a long time. And um, it, it just, I, and I always laugh about the mood symptoms where doctors are like, it's in your head. And I'm like, mm, well, your brain's oh. technically in your head. But also, <laughs> um, we now know there's a gut-brain connection in all of this. So, you know, there's that as well. It's not just in my head. It's actually my gut as well um so yeah i went through it personally even after everything i've been through even being on birth control and having all the side effects it's something that like people are a little shocked when i said when they ask like would you go back and not take the pill again and i'm like i don't know because i'm a first generation college student it was mm -hmm. a tool that i used like i'm the first woman i'm the first person in my family to be a doctor like and the pill was absolutely instrumental in that so you know it's it there's some things that really sucked and i wish i knew but at the same time i'm like wow how amazing that we do have access to this tool yeah i have yeah. a question what side effects were you experiencing on the pill yourself that made you want to get off of it well i never had a libido uh, like all through my 20s and i believe that story of like women don't have libidos and they're not sexual creatures and like yeah well never mind we just discovered the clitoris is like this giant alien organism which is also something for the women listening when medicine thinks that they've like stuck their flag in the peak and conquered women's medicine and that like, oh, we, we know so much and like, we're going to discount your story because there's no study to prove that what you're saying is actually true. Let's not forget that like up until a few years ago, and, and they haven't even changed medical curriculum really to 
truly translate like what is the female anatomy with the clitoris but we were told the clitoris was a little button that sat on the top of our urethra and it was so hard to find it was yeah. so hard for women to ha- climax and like and we just discovered this anatomical structure which turns out to be way bigger than what we thought like how did we miss that how do we yeah. miss that all these years yeah. so we need a whole lot more humility in medicine to recognize we don't know everything yeah. And in fact, our best teachers are our patients. But with me, so there was like no libido whatsoever. Um, there was increasing um, food sensitivities that I was developing. Um, and I didn't even know about food sensitivities then. I just knew that like I would eat something and feel super sick and have all these problems from it. Um, I developed uh, pain with intercourse and vaginismus. Oh. And so something that uh, women develop. Yeah. So it was like, I didn't even want to have sex. And when I did, it hurt and it wasn't fun. And like, that's super lame that like, I like, it wasn't until my thirties that I'm like, oh, sex is awesome. Like, what did I just miss yeah. out on? Like, what are you yeah. talking about? So the and other thing long... that happened. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and how long had you been on it at that point? Oh, no. Like, I think I lost my libido, like, immediately. It was um, a matter of, like, three years before I had um, vaginismus come up. So I started Mm -hmm. having all this pain. Um, And it was, like, uh, there was just, I mean, so many, so many uh, sexual, like, what gets called sexual dysfunction, which I'm really trying to flip the script on a lot of things that are called dysfunction in women's medicine. Mm -hmm. And what I would submit is it's not dysfunction. It's actually physiological adaptation. Like this Mm -hmm. is adaptation, your body trying to keep you safe. I think we throw around dysfunction too much in um, women's medicine. And then you feel broken. And it's not that I was dysfunctional. It's that my body was having a physiological adaptation to the fact that like I was getting repeat uh, yeast infections going on. Mm -hmm. That was also because of the pill. No one ever talked to me about that. Um, I had no libido. So if you have no libido and no interest in sex and also in your in your 20s and nobody has ever explained to you that like women need like ample foreplay, like all that like shit you see in the movies is total BS. Like, oh, he looked at her and they just had sex and <laughs> <Yeah>. she <laughs> orgasmed two minutes later. Like, no, no, it's a long game. Like, it's a long game. Men got to be marathon runners in, in that. Like, we don't, it's very rare that we sprint. So, um, yeah, so there's those things. And then there was also my mood, which um, when I was 19, I was put, and I wish I would doc, had documented all, I've been on so many different kinds of pills. And definitely, I took a, I took a tour on Yasmin, which is one of the higher risk um, of stroke profiles out there. So I'm really like grateful that I'm here still. Mm. Um, but at 19, I ended up with like debilitating depression. Like I remember starting a pill and then I would be like a puddle on the shower floor. Like the shower would be running cold and I'd just be laying there crying. Like I was so like just defeated. And um, my doctor was like, it's probably not the pill, but let's just go ahead and switch it. So I'm like, whatever, I switch it. And then it's like a cloud list. And now what we know from research that came out in 2016 is that teenagers are actually at the highest risk of suicide um, and depression when they begin hormonal birth control. And we're not at a place where we can say causation between the pill or hormonal contraceptives and depression, but there is a strong correlation there where like young women who use hormonal contraceptives have three times the suicide risk. And wow. it's not just the estrogen. So women will say, oh, 
well, I'm going to get a depo shot instead, or I'm going to get an IUD. No, as it turns out, all this time we've been vilifying the synthetic estrogen, the progestin is altering the female brain. It contributes to uh, depression. So, for example, um, women taking the combination estrogen and progestin, they were found in the study to have 20, they were 23% more likely to be prescribed antidepressants. But when it was progestin only, is 34% more likely. So there's something about that synthetic progestin, which is nothing like you and mama nature make progesterone, chemists make progestin, and it acts nothing like your natural, yummy, delicious progesterone in your body. And so that was a big aha, because I like, I mean, I chalked it up to just about everything else. But then when I looked back and I'm like, well, you don't just change a medication and suddenly like you just don't change like your birth control and suddenly you don't, you no longer have these symptoms unless that previous pill was contributing to that. Mm. yeah oh my god, god this I is so, so great questions. i know and it's like so great and so upsetting at the same time oh my god yeah. it's so that... upsetting it's like a really good documentary yeah, yeah. taylor you go my vagina is like tingling she um, <laughs> has so many questions uh okay yes. so you have to tip me for that though yeah, <laughs> yeah so what my situation is uh is that i've been on it for seven years i started when i was 18 so i kind of started it like before I was really having sex. So I don't even know. I don't feel like it's made me have no libido. Um, I feel okay in that regard. I don't think I'm having any symptoms. Although Delaney was pointing at me when you were saying the food sensitivities thing, because you guys have, people have pointed out to me uh, in the last year, like you seem to get food poisoning a lot. I'm like, well, you know, that's just, some people are unlucky. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'm like, like, that might be small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And I've cut out, yeah, and I've cut out everything. Like that's the thing. Like I cut out dairy years ago. I cut out red meat. I cut out, now I'm like pescatarian. I don't really do like gluten gluten or like much sugar like i'm really careful about all that stuff so the fact that occasionally i'll still get sick now i'm like oh god but um the one thing that has been a side effect of me being on the pill that works for me because i did try a few and the first two um made me feel a little nauseous and sick and then this third one that i tried um low low estrin uh, made it so I do not have a period. Like I haven't had a period mm-hmm. in years. And I talked to my doctor about it who was like, oh yeah, that's common on this birth control. You know, you do your own Googling. All Everyone on the internet's like, oh yeah, me too. Like it takes it away. It's no big deal. It'll come back if you're off of it. So like occasionally I'll spot, like I've had maybe a couple periods here and there, but for the most part, I don't have one. And I haven't been too freaked out about it because quite frankly, it's the tits. Like it's awesome. <laughs> um, but that being said, like, getting older and knowing that I definitely want to have kids and like listening to you on that podcast Delaney sent us was like crazy about just like how it affects your fertility. Um, I mean, I don't know if that side effect is an indication if that's normal, if that's a really bad sign. Um, or if that means it's going to like take longer to have kids as a result, like I just don't know. So, I mean, what are your, um, responses to people who I'm sure have brought up that, that issue in the past? Yeah, and so it can be a common phenomenon um, with certain different forms of hormonal birth control that women lose their period altogether. It can happen with depo, like the progestin-based IUDs, some pills. Um, The pills don't tend to do this, but the other ones tend, they can also be like you never stop bleeding and you're spotting all the time. Mm -hmm. That's that's, that's a problem. Even though doctors are like, "Mm, nothing's really wrong. And it's like, yeah, except for like, I can't function because like I'm just walking around with panty liners all the time. It's terrible. So (sighs) 
you know, with that, there's been a lot of focus in the way we're taught about women's health and women's medicine and our cycles is that the period is the main event. But as it turns out, it's not. The period is the wah, wah, we didn't get a baby. And really the main <laughs> event is ovulation, which is where we need to be focusing. While you're on the pill, that period isn't a real period. It's a withdrawal bleed from a medication. And so you never ovulated, you're oh. not having a cycle. So that's not even a real period, which is why, you know, they've come out and uh, just recently, the pharmaceutical industry admitted that the only reason they put the placebo week was so that women wouldn't freak out that they had no period. Um, oh, wow. And so they thought women would be really freaked out by that. And rightly so. I am also like, how would you know you're pregnant? Um, yeah, that's my concern right. if you don't have that withdrawal bleed and these progestins are not good for babies. So we definitely want to know that. Um, you know, but with, with all of that, it's just really important to understand that, that, that you're not actually having a period. Now, when it comes to fertility, we've all gotten the story at some point that as soon as you stop, you can just get pregnant. And some women do. However, as I talk about in my book, there's research to show that if you get pregnant within six months of discontinuing hormonal birth control, your baby is at higher risk of childhood cancer. We mm. just scratched the surface God. on that. Like just oh scratched the God. surface, right? How much information are we not getting? And wow, this is something sorry. that freaks me out. And I, I take my own ownership and responsibility in all of this is like, what are we doing to generations of the human like race? When we put women on hormonal birth control, then they get pregnant immediately. We're also excreting these synthetic hormones into the water supply. Like there's all these things that it's like, man, it is an individualized discussion, but there is also this huge global impact. And it's a hard thing to answer. I don't have answers. Like, I just wish I was, uh, I'm not Albert Einstein, right? Um, I'm not that smart. Um, so, you know, with that, uh, when it comes to fertility, uh, when you get into the research, so we come to understand that post-pill amenorrhea, so loss of your period altogether when you stop, common uh, um, for like up to three months, um, we consider that normal if you had regular cycles before you started hormonal birth control. Now, almost 60% of women start hormonal birth control for symptom management, not mm -hmm. primarily for pregnancy prevention. Mm -hmm. It's a nice bonus on the back end, but with that, so let's say you started it because you had irregular periods. Well, we expect it can take six months for your cycle to come back after you come off of it. Now, this is important consideration for when you want to have a baby. And there's other studies to show that it can take up to 18 months for a woman to start ovulating again when she comes off of birth control. Wow. Now, that's important for us to talk about because what if you know you want to have a baby, but you're like, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, put it off. Now I'm 38 and I want to go ahead and have a baby. Right. And then you come off of birth control and you're struggling. Your doctor may say it's because you're old. That's not old, by the way. Um, but they might say like that's because of your age and never make the connection that like it can take time to reestablish brain ovarian communication. Like this is a complex system. It's not something you just flip a light switch off and then flip it back on. Like it can take time. And there's researchers who have shown that the younger a woman is put on hormonal birth control, the more likely there will be hiccups later down the line because it takes about 10 years from when you start your period, which is called menarche, for your brain ovarian communication to really solidify and for your body to be in sync and everybody be talking. And with that, if you interrupt that maturation process, there, there are researchers who are like, you probably... It's going to take time. You probably have to go through that maturation process because it's like, you know, you're, you're, it's a part of your body that's developing. It's like we wouldn't shut off anything else. But this one is like 
shut it down, ask questions decades later. Like that's, that's very short-sighted to me. Um, and then there's also research to show that, uh, and this has been done on animal studies, but it was born out of reproductive endocrinologists making the observation that while a woman could get pregnant in that egg and sperm meet and that that process can happen, implantation was not happening because there's something. So uh, hormonal birth control can decrease the risk of endometrial cancer. And one way it may do that is by downregulating receptors in the endometrial lining. So it's the lining of your uterus where hormones stimulate, it gets nice and thick, then baby can implant. I like to call it like you want to you want to cuddle up in a thick down comforter rather than sleep on the floor, right? <laughs> Right. And so with that, some women come off and they don't, their, their endometrial lining, they're, they're not able to actually thicken it and get it to a place where they can have implantation. So, you know, in a lot of ways, this story that we're being handed about fertility, it's not really rooted in solid science. And we don't totally know, like we need a lot more expl exploration. And I, a lot of this is born out of the idea of birth control is a woman's right and to tell her and like the number one concern women have is uh you know could this mess with my fertility they're rapidly dismissed in that but i'm like you don't have woman after woman after woman after woman questioning this unless her intuition is like yo slow your roll with this and so <laughs> yeah. you know when you see woman after woman questioning this it, it is on science to answer that for us and to help us understand Who's at risk? Who's not at risk? And what other things should we be considering? But when it comes to like birth control, they're like, let's just, let's roll it out, introduce it to the market. Like, you know, and let me just say that like when birth control first came out, you had to be married to be able to get it. And so mm. there's a lot, it's a very heated yeah. where it's God. like, I know, right? Like seriously, <laughs> for real. Cause yeah. like no woman outside of wedlock has ever had sex. Like right. I hate to break it to you. There are these ideals of how you want to live your life. And then there's the fact that you're an animal. And at the end of the day, your hormones rule your world and they yeah. can work for you or they can work against you. Um, but, you know, in all of that, um, there's been a lot of like, we had to fight for a long time to get access to this. And so it's almost like anything you question that could raise fear, which we're not allowed to question. And that is, um, you know, the dedication, the other dedication of my book is to every little girl that was told she talked too much and asked too many questions. Because what if you can't answer my question or your answer to my question about my medical decision or my health is to shut me down, make me feel bad and make me feel stupid. Like what, what purpose is that actually serving on the grander level right yeah, so what do you say what do you say to women who like hear all this and kind of freak out like i am currently uh, where you're <laughs> yeah, like yeah. who are like you know I, okay well if birth control is bad for me i don't want to do that i want to be able to have kids someday etc cetera, etc cetera. but i also don't want to worry about being pregnant before i'm ready to be pregnant and totally. like what like what do you say to those to those women now, if I did my job right and be on the pill, I help dissipate all this fear. I don't want a woman being afraid of going on hormonal birth control or being on it, of coming off of it and the fallout that might happen, or of choosing to go a natural way to manage her symptoms. Really, it's about supplying information and helping you make the best decision for yourself and be supported in that. Mm. What comes with that is also knowing what to look out for. Like most women don't know what a heart attack looks like in a woman. Most doctors don't know this either because we present oh. differently than men. And so I explain all of this in my book so that you don't have to feel afraid. I also guide you in the lab testing to get done so you can assess your own risk and be able to have that conversation with your doctor. Um, birth control is not bad 
but it's a medication and all medications have side effects. What's bad is when we're not allowed to talk about it and we're not allowed to question it. Like that's the thing that's bad. Like every pharmaceutical has a time and a place. And certainly if a woman feels like the best thing I can do for my life right now is take the pill. And whether that is for symptom management or for pregnancy prevention, that is her right. And it is as a doctor, it's for me to support her and then to view it through a critical lens of like, is anything bad coming down the pipeline for you making this decision? Like, are your cardiovascular risk markers rising? If so, then I've got to have real talk with you. And if not, let's just continue to monitor you and support you in the best way we can. But something that we... I don't know if you guys are familiar with fertility awareness method, but I'm like the way I came to the fertility awareness method was like the jokes, right? Um, I could have probably pulled a hundred quotes about like things doctors say to women, like you're going to do fertility awareness method. You know what we call that? I'll see you next month when you're pregnant. Like doctors mm -hmm. say these things to women because the story goes that our bodies are too complicated. Hormones are just so messy and women are just too dumb to understand it. And that is not my clinical experience. What, you know, who's the best person to like, you know, in a position to understand like the female body, the woman living in that body, like that's yeah. who is the best. So I really am a fan of fertility awareness method. Um, and whether you use it for contraceptive reasons or not, it's a great way to know your body and understand what is going on. And the really... If you so, why is it that doctors will be like, oh, hormones are so complicated, and you know, we try to test labs, but they're not that accurate, and it's true, like it's hard to test labs and have full accuracy because we're cyclical. We're cyclical throughout the day and we're cyclical throughout the month. But really where you get the most information about a women's, women's hormones is in their story and in their experience in their body. And I have patients who they track their one menstrual cycle and I can identify their hormone imbalance and what is going on. And then we validate it with a test. And fertility awareness method is one tool that we can use. It is highly scientifically accurate when done correctly, so much so that the FDA just approved last year in 2018, the first ever Femtech device as a contraceptive. This is natural cycles. And you pop this thermometer under your tongue and then it, a light tells you if you're in your fertile window. Oh, now wow. you can't take a, yeah, it's super cool. So there's um, natural cycles and there's daisy. And they both work on similar technology. Daisy's deemed a fertility monitor, but this is all like semantics of what the FDA will like approve and not approve. And that, that's really what it comes down to. It's the same technology. And it's so simple because it's like, I, I, you know, the rhyme I use with my patients is green light, go, red light, no. Like if it's red and you don't want a baby, don't be messing around. Like, you know, wrap it up with a condom or do something different in the bedroom. And if it's green, you're in the clear. But you cannot ever take a back seat to your fertility because... One, if you don't abstain to the fertile window, which is you can get you can get pregnant one day out of the month because egg lives one day out of the month, but that sperm be tricky and mm -hmm. it can live five <laughs> to six days. So mm -hmm. we've, wow. you've got to adhere to the fertile window um, with that, and it's something that you can you you couple with other uh, contraceptive like barrier methods with that. But we have to say. You know, there are side effects to every form of birth control out there. And the side effects of this one is if you don't do it right, you could get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now, they've done studies and it's shown that women who use it perfectly, it's over 99% effective. Wow. Like this method, yeah. I know it's really eye-opening to me. It was my patients who were coming in. They're like, I use fertility awareness method. And I'm like, uh, you might want to back up method because that's what I was taught. 
until these same patients were like, I'm going to get pregnant next month. And boom, they were pregnant. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Wait, you've been using fertility awareness method for eight years. And then you just decided to have a baby and you got pregnant like the month you try like, wait, mm, okay, there's something amazing. to this. Um, so with all of that, you know, uh, we also have to understand that we're all told that birth control, the pill is over 99% effective. That's with perfect use. That is perfect use. And so, you know, if you've got symptoms going on, you feel like you're getting food poisoning all the time, then like you don't have perfect use because absorption is a, is a, a variable in all of this. But with typical use, the way women typically use it, it's about 91% effective. So nine out of 100 women using it are going to get pregnant. So it's really, really important to understand that because what I found in my clinical experience is if women are using fertility awareness method, they're on it. They're like a hundred percent like on it. And when they're, you know, using the pill, um, and you know, I've had patients get pregnant while having a copper IUD and some of these other forms mm -hmm. know that nature can find a way, <laughs> nothing. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's a hundred percent is abstinence. And if you can do that more power to you, but a lot of humans struggle with that. Again, we are animals at our core. Um, and no, judgment whatever however you want to live your life that's totally your business so in chapter 13 of my book I take women through different non-hormonal birth control options and different things that they can explore and that they can consider because step one before you come off of birth control is to figure out your backup birth control method because even if you do want to be pregnant like I said, you want to wait those six months minimum. Your egg is on a 90-day maturation window. What that means is, is that the egg you become pregnant with actually spent three months getting ready. So you want to spend mm. at least six months getting that egg ready. And, and really, like, you know, it's not just about the egg, but it's about your entire body. You're about to grow a human in your body. And you want to be as, you know, healthy as possible. But your microbiome becomes baby's microbiome. And if birth control wrecks your microbiome, then you've got some work to do there just on that one piece alone. And if people are like, why does this even matter? Because baby's microbiome sets up their entire lifetime of health and how their immune system will function. Mm. Wow. wow, this is, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I feel like we haven't let you ask anything. Oh, no. um, I, I feel like you've answered so many of my questions. My my like brief background is that I went on the pill when I was like 15 uh, until 25. Around 25, I went off of it for a few months thinking I wanted to do something different because I didn't want to be on a pill the rest of my life. And about three months in, boom, cystic acne everywhere. Had no idea it was a side effect of birth control. Never been told that could be a side effect. You know, everything, everything that we've discussed already. So of course I went back on the pill because the acne was too much to bear. Um, and then I went on, you know, I was on the pill for another um, handful of years, decided to go off of it uh, and try the IUD. And a few months after that, boom, cystic acne again. So mm -hmm. uh, I w actually did a second round of Accutane because I figured, oh, my acne's back. This might just be what happens after, you know, over a decade of being off of Accutane. Um, so now I'm two weeks off the birth control pill because after, you know, Kelsey mentioned that there's a thing called post birth control syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and then she started having side effects. I think you ended up saying that you like, had hair loss. Like I was losing hair yeah. in the shower. I mean, that first month off was really crazy. Like, you know, uh, Dr. Brighton, you mentioned that it's not like 
just turning a light switch off and then turn it back on like right. that light had been off for 12 years yeah so when you randomly mm-hmm. just flip that on it's like it's gross it's, in here it's gross in here it's like <laughs> like aladdin is like who disturbs my slumber it's like, my body like freaked i was like what the fuck is this yeah. and so i was like losing hair had all this brain fog um started to have like a real period for the first time in 12 years and like holy shit i i was like in tears over how bad the cramps were like the flow was crazy you know you talked about like the ovulation stuff happening i'm like um it's exactly what you talked about you're like what is happening to my body i just like it just felt like my body was melting or something over these Mm -hmm. last six months but it's that's actually what's kind of normal is like getting back to this function where you're actually having a regular things happening that just were shut off for 12 years yeah so yeah that's some of the stuff i was experiencing so i was hearing that from kelsey really freaking out like oh this this shit is no joke and so uh i kind of looked more into it myself you are the first thing that pops up on google thank the lord when you like research post-birth control syndrome and then i google god yes (laughs) yeah and then i listened to that uh that episode of the podcast and i'm like oh man i want to go off of this like i don't want to be on this anymore um i feel like even on it like my energy levels are kind of weird and fluctuating weird um my libido is completely gone like i I was on the copper iud for a year and a half i believe and my libido was much better because i guess there was no hormones happening Mm -hmm. um and then uh yeah but back on the pill was super nauseous i hadn't hadn't like experienced that before um there was another thing i was gonna mention but basically I'm two weeks off the pill and I am bracing myself for <laughs> all of this because yeah. I know it's going to come back and I know it's going to come back with a vengeance because it's happened twice before with me not realizing that's what it was. Um, and so I know like I'm signed up for your newsletter. So I'm getting your like daily emails with information, which <laughs> awesome. is super awesome. And I'm definitely going to be um, buying your supplements and probably signing up for one of your programs. But like, what can I do like to brace myself? Like, should I be taking the supplements now? Should I be waiting till I'm experiencing symptoms? Like, how does that process work? No, we never want to wait until we have symptoms. So this is actually something that's very different. So that's like, that's allopathic mindset of like, (laughs) as soon as it started to come out of my mouth, I'm like, I feel like, um, uh, what is that? Uh, Ice Ice Baby, where I'm like, yo, you got a problem, I'll solve it. (laughs) You got a problem, now I'll solve it. Um, Check out the hook when my DJ revolves it, you know? (laughs) And we're like, you actually want to be preventative. Like by the time you have symptoms, like your symptoms present, like, things were already developing down the pipeline like these subtle things so you know um you know first thing yes you know getting started with nutrition and lifestyle changes and then you know getting uh supplements on board i just realized as i like threw back um to vanilla ice that i think i'm older than all of you i'm like i just totally dated myself with that. <laughs> we all know vanilla ice. vanilla ice reference um i'm not that old um <laughs> so with that though um you know, sooner is better than later and going right into, so the very first thing that's going to happen in my book, um, is your chapter one is you're going to take a quiz. That's going to get you dialed into your hormone imbalance. As soon as you get your quiz results, it's like, go to this section, read this, go over Mm. here, read that. Mm. So that you can get dialed in on best diet nutrition, um, you know, practices. So don't like, it's not a diet like, oh, you're going on a diet like, you know, going on the zone diet or like, you know, the keto diet or something like that. Like this is like dietary practices to optimize your hormones. And um, and then you're going to get like you'll get to a supplement chart and you can see what's going on with that. And right away as part of the 30 day program, you're going to roll into a liver detox. Now, the birth control. So when you pop that pill, 
it is a high enough dose. So doctors are always like, it's low dose. Yeah, compared to the first iteration that was like, you know, massively making women vomit because there was so much hormones, it is a lower dose, but it's still high enough that it passes through your liver and your liver detoxifies it and it's still enough to shut down brain ovarian communication. So mm. yes, it's low dose, but it's still high enough to shut down an entire system in your body. Yeah. And so the liver is one of those key areas that we want to start taking care of right away. When it comes to cystic acne, that's going to help in terms of um, your detoxification of your hormones. When it comes to hair loss, it can help with blood sugar regulation you actually have cortisol, uh, like little receptors in your hair follicles. So it can be because of testosterone. It can be because of cortisol. And as you read in my book, both those, both those hormones get messed with big time while you're on birth control. And so we roll you right into 14-day liver detox. Um, it starts with like food-based uh, approach and all that. And there are supplements that you can utilize with that. And in that, it's supporting your liver, really loving it up, trying to help you get clearer skin and, and get your libido back as soon as possible. But it also is feeding you everything you need to build your hormones and to remove waste from your body, metabolic waste of all kinds. And so that's some of the things that like you, you want to start with is like you want to start with like how can I replenish my nutrient stores? How can I fix the damage that was done with my gut? How can I start to optimize my metabolic health, um, getting into that liver detoxification and then making sure that you identify what is your hormone imbalance? Like what is the main troublemaker is what I call it in my book. Like, is it too much cortisol? Is it too little thyroid hormone? Is it estrogen dominance? Like what is going on for you? Because it's a different approach. Like it's a different way that we approach those things. And that's something that when I sat to write this book, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of women's health books out there. A lot of them are one size fits all, which doesn't work. Like we need more um, individualization. But in addition, there's so many women's hormones books that like they talk about the pill or they talk about hormonal birth control. And it's like in passing, like this little paragraph and things like that. And I'm like, this is a huge part of women's health and part of the conversation that we they needed to put a book out there of like, yes, I want to write a book on women's health issues like I mean, the book talks about fertility, it talks about autoimmune disease, it talks about gallbladder disease, like all these things you wouldn't think of, but are very common things that women face and they're tied into your hormones. And then it also brings in what, how is hormonal birth control part of this conversation? Mm. And yeah. I just had like one last thing. We'll probably wrap up kind of soon. Yeah. yeah I I, well, a quick thing, just I wanted to ask you, because um, a big catalyst for this for me too, getting off the pills, I just had a doctor's appointment recently and mm -hmm. she told me that my vitamin D level was like incredibly low. I was like at 17% when I was supposed to be at like 70%. I had to get like a vitamin D prescription, which that's never happened mm -hmm. before. And then I was on like the, I'm on the verge of like hypothyroid, thyroidism, oh, which I've never encountered in my life it does run in my family but I base and I even asked like oh I mean I'm I'm back on the pill now is that any you know connection oh no bunch of people are on the pill that's totally fine so I think <laughs> yeah. oh I'm fine a bunch of people are on the pill cold <laughs> women and women are five to eight times more likely to have thyroid disease but that couldn't be connected yeah no not connected so I'm I'm at a point where like I'm really I'm I really want to get to a baseline to see if these will kind of correct itself but you also mentioned that you're on a thyroid medication so yeah is that something where my thyroid could correct itself like being off of this and like you know um basically giving my body the nutrients it's been depleted of yeah so when you get into the energize your adrenals and your thyroid chapter it's going to become really clear what's going on like i 
I have lectured, I give keynotes on thyroid disease and birth control and the connection and they're 90 minutes. Like I can talk wow. about this for a long, long time. Um, and so with this, uh, you got to, you got to get adequate testing and understand is the root cause of your hypothyroidism autoimmune disease, TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies being elevated. If they are, that's a different approach. I also go through autoimmune disease and how to reverse that in my book. Then if you're on hormonal birth control, and then you, uh, so the hormonal birth control can give, um, it is inducing hypothyroidism uh, in, in because of nutrient depletions and binding proteins and all of these things. Um, but at the same time, when you come off, it doesn't always just self-correct right away, but it can. And okay. so if your issue with um, your hypothyroidism is due to the fact that your selenium and B vitamins are depleted, well, then getting your selenium and B vitamins up may be the thing that corrects that. If your issue is that you're on hormonal birth control, it's wreaking havoc on your gut and your liver and major tissues of thyroid hormone conversion. That's how you activate thyroid hormone. Um, then that could certainly be an issue that's going on. It's like you actually need to heal those organs and make sure that like they're, they're in tip-top shape so they can make that conversion. If you are hypothyroidism because you have cellular resistance, so your cells are inflamed. So we, we know about insulin resistance. Same thing can happen with any hormones. Um, and so if it's cellular resistance and you can't actually get the hormone into the cell, your hormonal birth control is inflammatory. So we need to drop that inflammation and we need to correct that piece. And, you know, as you were saying with the vitamin D, there are alterations in vitamin D um, metabolism and uh, how our labs look while we're on hormonal birth control, but it's also needed for making your thyroid hormone. And it's really important for receptor activity in the body as well. And so, you know, there's a lot of things going on to that and you're right like you're on with that and you're really, you're right to question it. And then when you say your doctor prescribed you vitamin D, often when a doctor gives a prescription for vitamin D, it's actually D2 which is inactive. Um, and that is something it's not very helpful. Um, wow. You actually oh, need vitamin D3 and we need to couple wow. D3 with K2 so that we don't pull calcium into our arteries and we can keep ourselves safe. Oh yeah. I um, do have that. You know, yeah. yeah. She, did, she gave so, me like a K force or something. I don't know what that is, but that's what I'm taking. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And this is something like I explained to people, they're like, why doesn't my doctor know all this? I'm like, yeah. well, like most doctors don't spend four years studying nutritional biochemistry and clinical nutrition before they go to school. In fact, they most nutrition they get is usually like nine to 12 weeks out of like 10 plus years of education. So like, they're not rooted in that. What they really should be taught to do is to partner with like a registered dietitian or a nutritionist and, you know, a nutritional therapy practitioner, somebody who is actually focused and like food as medicine is like their wheelhouse. This is where healthcare teams can come together to serve the patient so much more. Your doctor's not going to know everything. They can't yeah. know everything and they can't be the best at everything, which is why we need a lot more referring, a lot more collaboration and a lot less of this ego of like, we can fix everything, maybe, but you know where real ha healing happens? It happens outside the doctor's office. Like mm. real healing and preventative medicine happens every morning you wake up, every night you go to bed, what you put at the end of your fork, how you talk to yourself, where your community is at and who you just like is part of your social circle. It's like these things, your doctor is never with you. They're never with you in the grocery store. They're not with you at the gym. They're not with you, with you at your family reunion. Like they're not there. And it's the way you handle these things and you, the choices you make and all of that 
that is really where preventative medicine has. And that's the thing we've taken away from patients and women is that it's like your doctor can solve all the things and that's where true healing is. No, no, actually, you've always had the power to heal your body and the power to practice preventative medicine. We're just not teaching it. Like our life skills in, in high school, like what are those? Like whoever walked away from like life skills and like, the, the, I don't even remember what those classes are called and like actually felt like they could handle life like at 18. Like, I don't think there's anyone I know. Right. Right. Wow. Um, ahead, I had one last thing. So both Delaney and I talked about uh, libido being a, a problem for us on the pill. And once I got off, it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster, like right away. But then maybe a week or two, I felt like a teenage boy. All of a sudden it was like my libido came flooding back and I was super horny, had like really high sex drive. And now over six months, it's kind of, I don't know, balanced out a little bit. It feels maybe a little bit better than it did on, when I was on birth control, but still... I wish I felt like a little bit more in touch with that feeling. Uh, is there a supplement that we could take that helps with that? I know we talked about supplements that help with acne. I just wondered if there's something specifically for libido. Okay, nobody's going to like it when I say this, but when you ask for a supplement to fix your libido, that's the same as asking for a medication to fix your libido. Like it's a very like this pill for this ill kind of situation. Oh. And that's not to say that supplements can't help, but I just want to frame it for every woman who's listening because when it comes to libido and our sex drive, this is somewhere we can feel that we're really broken, that like something's really, really wrong with us because nobody in society really talks about how freaking complicated women are in all of this. And so why I say that is like, Yes, I could tell you rhodiola might help or another ginseng might help. Eleutherococcus, you know, for example, mm. has been shown to be helpful. And, um, you know, using uh, supplements that help equalize the estrogen and the progesterone balance and all of that can be really, really helpful. However, if the root cause of your issue is that you just don't like your partner, there is no amount of supplements <laughs> that will correct that. Like you right. have to be able... And that's why part of my protocol in my book, which I call DATE, um, is one, you've got to decrease your stress and increase your sleep. If your body is getting the signal that the environment is dangerous in any way, which is stress, maybe you're working out too hard, maybe you're sitting in traffic, you guys live in Southern California, mm -hmm. so I bet that one's real. Yeah. Maybe you're not sleeping well. Um, maybe you're skipping meals. Anything that signals to the body that the environment is stressful and not safe for baby making, your body will protect you by shutting down your libido. So mm. know this, women. Your body's never betraying you. It's always looking out for you. It's here to help you survive. Now, the second part is you've got to activate your lady parts. If you don't know what works for you, um, and you know, there's people who are like, are you telling women to masturbate? I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know that works <laughs> yes. for her. But like, if you don't know your own terrain and what works for you, you can never articulate and describe that to somebody else about like what works for you. And that doesn't mean that like you have to masturbate, although there is research saying that it's like, it's a very good thing to be doing. Um, it's all about your own you know beliefs and all of that. But in that, I mean, just being very present, how do you get an orgasm? Mindfulness. It is like the biggest practice of mindfulness of like what works for you and feeling confident to articulate that. And then making sure that like activating your lady parts is also like get up and walk during the day. Like we sit way too much it's mm, called pelvic yeah. pelvic stagnation. Like you've got to be moving around and walking and getting into your pelvis. I give a whole meditation in my book about getting into that pelvic floor, really getting into that space and connecting with it. And then making sure that you're engaging in physical activity that helps increase the circulation to your pelvis. Then you've got to talk to your partner. 
You've got to talk to your partner about where you're at and talk to your partner about your menstrual cycle. Men, um, men, you know, it's funny to me how often people are like, women are so sensitive. I'm like, men are so freaking sensitive. They just <laughs> like, they just don't always totally talk about it. And it doesn't, it, it presents in the socially acceptable ways of like anger or shutting down. Whereas like what women experience is just like not always socially acceptable to be crying, whatever that's society's baggage, not ours. Um, so talking with your partner is also talking through that, like, the weeks leading up, like, when you're about to ovulate, you are going to be most in the mood. It's going to be a lot easier for you, like, to orgasm. These things are going to change. As you're getting closer to your period, your hormones are starting to decline. You are cyclical. These things are going to change. And to know it's not about them, it's about them checking in with where you're at in your cycle. But also having the conversation of, like, your needs have to be met. Now, when women engage in sexual intercourse and there is penetration, you are literally inviting somebody inside your body. Like talk about next level personal space. Okay. Like <laughs> you are inviting someone in your body. And to do that, you have to feel, you have to feel trust. You have to feel taken care of. And so a lot of times, you know, men think, okay, like foreplay starts when I like kiss her neck and all that. Nope foreplay actually started that morning did you bring her a cup of coffee right. did you like yeah. you know do things that made her day easier it's those things that really work for us women and then you know when it comes to foreplay it can take a good 20 minutes or more for you to even get get where you're like okay like I, i'm not gonna roll over and go to bed all right this i'm gonna be here for this and then it can take another 20 to 60 minutes before you even achieve an orgasm that's why i said it's a marathon it's not a sprint here like we you've got to be with it and we just need to be communicating to our partners and then we need to eat a diet that is conducive to having healthy hormones good blood sugar balance like none of that stuff that's sexy but that gives you the sexy time juice that you're looking for <laughs> so um i certainly give like supplements and i go through things um in my book of things that you can try um you know and i talk about the things like dim and calcium deglucurate and fiber and broccoli seed extract to help you move out your estrogen because if you're estrogen dominant, you won't have a libido because you'll be so freaking irritated with everybody. That's just how too much estrogen works in your body. When your estrogen's oh, just so right, funny. though, <laughs> you will be like, you will be noticing that you're like, my breasts, my hips, they're all curvy. I look great. My lips are plump. The fine lines on my face are disappearing. That's what estrogen does for us. That's why we feel really sexy when we're around ovulation. And our partners pick up on that as well. So I know there's like a whole lot of information. It's just to say that there is no one quick fix for the female libido or sexual health. Because the cool thing is we are so complicated. But also that like this is where the idea of you know, sexual dysfunction, this is actually a diagnosis that you can write in someone's chart. And anytime I've done that in a woman's chart, I explain to her, well, this is like in medicine, how we talk. This is not what I subscribe to. This is adaptation. So mm -hmm. like I was saying, your body will adapt if you don't have a good relationship. Um, your body's like, we can't have a baby with that guy. No way. No way. Shut it down. He ain't any good. Or like, mm -hmm. hey. I mean, like, that doesn't um, always happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 for sure. Because you know, there's this other thing that like, he just smells so freaking good. And your body's like, all the pheromones are like, oh, I got to be in it. That's why I'm like, yeah, you know, abstinence. Oh, no, uh, I recommending that I'm like I would recommend fertility awareness method over abstinence any day when it comes to pregnancy prevention because physiology and nature always finds a way right yeah this was so Man. good. Oh my Me god. Thank, thank you so yeah. much for doing this. You're amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. You know, 
when the when the um my assistant reached out to me and she was like there's these three comedians and they want to like interview you. And I'm like, well, they're comedians. Like I, I would rather like be talking to them um, about this <laughs> conversation because you're going to ask things like non-medical professionals will ask and it's going to serve so many other women. Plus I knew you guys would be funny. Aww, <laughs> thanks. Thank yeah, that's what we try to do here. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to leave our, our uh, listeners with any other words of wisdom? The biggest thing is that you are the only one living in your body. So you're the Mm. only one who knows what normal is. And if you say it's not normal, then it's not normal. And while doctors see people who are sick, who come for help. And so to them, it's normal. It's actually common. And there's a difference there. Mm. Having PMS is common. Having no libido, common. Having post-birth control syndrome, common. But it's not the normal. And you should never accept it as the normal for you. Mm. Thank Love you so it. much. Um, and uh, Dr. Brighton, where can people find you and all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find me at drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N.com. That's my main hub. I also have a YouTube channel. <clears throat> Excuse me, I choke on my own spit. <laughs> um, and I, uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Jolene Brighton. And Beyond the Pill is everywhere that they sell books. And if you grab it, please grab the gratitude bonuses at beyondthepillbook.com. Nice. I cannot wait to buy that book. It's going to be my Bible going forward until I feel like I've got a handle on my hormones. So, and uh, you'll be hearing from me because I'm going to be getting all your supplements and signing up uh, with uh, (laughs) one of your programs. So I'm so excited. Thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. And let us know how we can support you. Thanks for having me. Oh man, you're the best. Thank you. Bye. That was incredible. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Wow. You guys, share this episode with the women in your life. Yeah. And, like, Whoa. we all know somebody who needs to hear this stuff. Jesus. Dude. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm like, I got to go back and listen with, like, a notebook. Exactly. And a highlighter. Had but paper. think about, like, anytime you've been prescribed the pill, I've never gotten even an ounce of that information. No. No. It's like, here you go. Oh, you got acne? Here you go. Oh, you want to regulate your cycle? Here you go. Yeah. And, and no, no big deal. It doesn't. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. And now here we are. <sighs> fucking broken dolls. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. I have a couple uh, shows to plug, and then I think yeah. we're good to wrap up, yeah, right? Yeah, so okay, yeah. cool. Um, so I will be headlining the dc comedy loft may 3rd and 4th uh kane will be with me so i know we have a bunch of dc helpsters and you guys uh, who came out to the shows last year were awesome those were such fun shows so yeah come back out uh it's kelseycook.com for tickets and you can meet kane too this time yay that's a double header right there. yeah uh and then i am at the la jolla comedy store uh for anybody in la jolla san diego area uh this weekend april 18th through 20th i'm so excited uh i have some of like my very good friends and favorite people that I came up with in San Diego um, on those shows with me. And I mean, it's in a club that like is, is just one of like the best clubs to see live comedy in, but also like the place that made me a comedian. Um, So please come out to those April 18th through 20th, uh, La Jolla comedy store. I'm at moon tower comedy festival, April 25th through 27th. And I am back headlining the comedy works downtown in Denver, uh, May 8th through 11th and i'm in fort collins on the 7th doing a show so i'm coming in a day early i know there were a couple people who who said like oh great i'm in fort collins so Sweet. uh go to t for all that information and also you know my instagram and facebook and all those things it's Beautiful. everywhere yeah. i will be kissing maverick on my couch <laughs> and uh <laughs> 
Oh, one thing I do want to say, um, if you aren't already, if you could follow me on Instagram at Delaney Fisher, I know that I've said I'm not going to be doing the Instagram thing really anymore, but um, I know that like once you get to 10,000 followers, you can mm -hmm. share links in your stories. And I would really like to start like more efficiently sharing information with you guys. Like if I find a cool vegan restaurant or whatever, like I would like to do that. So yeah, just promoting um, the podcast. Yeah, just promoting yeah. the podcast. And I think it'd be super dope. So what are you at right now? I don't know close to seven maybe okay i don't we're know so close guys kind of getting up there but um yeah at delaney fisher d-e-l-a-n-i-e-f-i-s-c-h-e-r i know it's a weird spelling but i think that would be a cool a cool thing yeah yeah awesome yeah. all Thanks, right you guys all right. we love you guys talk to you next week love you bye, bye. You guys, we love you so much. Thank you for supporting Self Helpless. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, at Self Helpless Podcast. And you can visit selfhelplesspodcast.com for all things Self Helpless. Learn about Patreon and how to sign up. Our merch is there. Information about our Facebook group and how to join. All the episodes you can listen to are on there. A little bit about the show. Our individual sites are linked there. And our contact information, email, and P.O. box if you want to send us some love letters. And yeah. you can follow us individually as well. I am at Delaney Fisher on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And DelaneyFisher.com where you can watch my docu-comedy special, Love at First Cousin, for free. And then DicksByDelaney.com if you want to buy some dick mugs. Sweet. I'm at Kelsey Cook Comedy on Instagram, at Kelsey Cook on Twitter, KelseyCook.com for all tour dates and merch. And my album, Savor It, is still available to buy on iTunes. And you can watch Wrists of Fury, my foosball web series that has an episode of Taylor and Delaney uh, on the All Things Comedy YouTube channel. I am at Taylor Tomlinson on Twitter and Instagram and ttomcomedy.com for my Netflix special and all live tour dates. Sweet. We yeah. love you guys. So much. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>